This week, IRMEP releases the report, APAC Israeli Economic Espionage Against U.S. Hits $366 Billion. We note that 2024 will mark the fourth decade since APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, and the Israeli Minister of Economics stole classified American industry data to aid passage of what has become America's single worst bilateral free trade deal. Among all bilateral free trade agreements, the 1985 U.S.-Israel deal has produced the highest inflation-adjusted cumulative merchandise trade deficit, $365.9 billion, since going into effect. In 1984, American companies were steamrolled by corrupt politicians on the take from APAC-directed stealth political action committees, and today, captured U.S. federal and state agencies channel hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars away from American companies and into the coffers of new, oftentimes incompetent, Israeli market entrants. The uh, report has a listing of the multilateral trading agreements, NAFTA, or the USMCA, Mexico-Canada, United States Agreement, with a 37 trillion dollar inflation adjusted cumulative deficit followed immediately by the first bilateral trade agreement we list which is Israel at 365.9 billion dollars uh, that's followed by South Korea at 331.16 billion dollars since the year it was enacted which is 2012 the Israeli deal has been in effect since 1985 the U.S. trade secrets stolen by APAC and the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs were contained in the Classified International Trade Commission, or ITC, report, Probable Economic Effect of Providing Duty-Free Treatment for Imports from Israel. This is a report that the U.S. Trade Representative denied FOIA release on for alleged national security grounds in the year 2008 and 2009 before it was reviewed by a higher authority, the ISCAP of the National Archives, which forced them to partially release it in 2011. The report content that predicted and quantified damage to U.S. industry remains classified to this day. But what has never been a secret is that U.S. trade and industry groups were uniformly opposed to a FTA with Israel because the market there was insignificant, highly geared toward exploiting foreign intellectual property uh, combined with extremely weak IPA laws, and the deal offered no identifiable reciprocal benefits to American companies while opening the way for other politically driven trade policies that would explode the U.S. trade deficit and deindustrialize key sectors. And the passage of 40 years has proven those opponents to be right. By illegally obtaining and circulating the classified report, it helped APAC target U.S. politicians for reform or replacement. And one probably mostly unknown example is the report contained confidential input from Ohio Republican Representative Delbert Lada, who fretted over the impact the FTA would have on U.S. tomato growers. That was his commentary was inserted into this secret 
report, again, the uh, uh, section on agriculture, a 1988 election roundup boasting of the wins for APAC-directed stealth political action committees noted with satisfaction that Lada was stepping down to the relief of some pro-Israel activists. An article read, his replacement is likely to be state senator Paul Gilmore, a Republican who has impressed some pro-Israel activists, unquote. And there were other politicians listed in the report who eventually suffered an ouster or change their position on opposition to the FTA. The sections of the report we released this week uh, reviews what the stolen 1984 report predicted and how valuable the industry secrets were to APAC and its Israeli government foreign principles, both in terms of import-export strategy and highlighting new avenues to gain preferential U.S. market access through 2022. Israel's leading export to the United States has long been polished cut diamonds. As Section 6 of the classified ITC report noted, diamond exports amounted to 5%, approximately $1.2 billion, of Israel's GNP in 1982, sustained 850 companies and employed 9,500 workers. Although diamonds sourced from Africa, cut in Israel, and exported abroad already entered the U.S. duty-free, Israel no longer wanted to be subject to the vagaries of the general system of preferences or most favored nation duty in effect at the time. Rather, Israel wanted a permanent, unconditional U.S. market access guarantee that only a free trade agreement could achieve. And this was made very clear in the classified ITC report which read, quote, implementing of this proposal would eliminate uncertainty over future of the GSP program, a program which is the key to Israel's competitiveness in the U.S. market. Israel would be able to commit itself to increasing production with some degree of certainty of market direction, unquote. APEC and Israel, therefore, needed the classified sections of the report on diamonds and jewelry to be able to prove to members of Congress and other stakeholder groups concerned about opening up the U.S. market that there would be no harm to domestic industries. Uh, indeed, illegal Israeli report circulation is how the FBI received its first reports of economic espionage sufficient to commence a lengthy investigation. On June 21, 1984, the FBI's Washington field office reported to the FBI director that, quote, Israelis were offering copies of this document to members of Congress because the United States trade representative was slow in delivering them, unquote. But the classified report was never intended to be distributed to members of Congress or their constituents or unregistered foreign agents of the Israeli government. It was solely intended to be used by the executive branch. Another report on June 21, 1984, said, quote, The president's negotiating position concerning a trade agreement between the United States and State of Israel is compromised because this report divulges those products and industries that have been identified by the International Trade Commission as being the most sensitive to imports from Israel, unquote. As noted in the report, American industry felt under threat by the proposed deal. Quote, Israel's advantage over U.S. gold chain producers lies in lower production costs. Future gains in the U.S. chain market will most likely come at the expense of U.S. producers because of this price advantage, unquote. 
The largest U.S. National Jewelry Association and domestic producers appeared before the Senate Finance Committee to protest against opening up the market since it would negatively impact their attempted recovery from a three-year slump. They said, quote, of particular concern is the precious metal chain industry where the import to consumption ratio already exceeds 60 percent, unquote. After revealing the conclusions of the secret ITC report that they were never intended to receive, APEC and the Israeli government could rest assured that they had had the final word over this sector of American industry and could focus on other important areas such as manufactured goods and pharmaceuticals. The report's section conclusion read, quote, support for the elimination of jewelry tariffs came from an importer and the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, noted that some 97% of jewelry imports from Israel already entered duty-free under the GSP, so no large increase in Israeli jewelry imports could be expected, unquote. APAC lobbies, of course, did not mention that replacing GSP with a more permanent Israel FTA right to the U.S. market was the key reason that Israel wanted a bilateral agreement. Preferential treatment of Israeli diamonds have locked in its 27% share of U.S. imports, which were $23 billion in the year 2022. The cumulative inflation-adjusted Israeli diamond exports to the U.S. grew to $266 billion between the years 1992 and 2022. The return of unsold diamonds from the U.S. to Israel also provides the helpful illusion that the U.S. deficit with Israel is much lower and bilateral trade is much higher than it actually is. According to diamond analyst Rappaport News, quote, the net diamond account is the total rough and polished imports minus total exports, unquote. The U.S. returns billions of dollars of unsold diamonds to Israel every year, and the U.S. Trade Representative and Census Trade Division breathlessly count these as deficit-reducing, legitimate U.S. exports to Israel, when in fact they're not. Uh, while touting unduly inflated and growing bilateral trade figures, we subtract the value of transfers of unsold Israeli diamonds from the U.S. back to Israel to arrive at our inflation-adjusted cumulative bilateral merchandise trade deficit of $365.9 billion. The Israeli government was focused in 1984 as much as it is today on the export of high-value-added manufactured goods such as medical equipment and weapons. The report noted, quote, Israeli exports of machinery and equipment to the United States increased from 132 million in 1979 to 260 million in 1982 and then decreased to 241 million in 1983, unquote. The secret ITC report also noted Israel's non-transparency over weapons sales, citing, quote, miscellaneous metal manufacturers. Nearly all of these exports were shipped to unspecified destinations, unquote. U.S. manufacturers of high-end information and telecom equipment expressed their worries in the classified ITC report that other countries, especially from Western Europe, would enter the Israeli market solely to be able to manufacture and export duty-free into the United States. States. That is very close to what ultimately happened. With drafts of the report in hand, it is likely that APAC was able to influence the ITC's final conclusions that there simply was no threat. It read, quote, 
substantial capital investment and production capacity would be needed, and the country is already heavily dependent on foreign loans and transfer payments. Imports from Israel would most likely have a negligible impact on U.S. industries producing these products or on U.S. consumers, unquote. This finding was like a blank check for Israel and APAC. In the end, the U.S. manufacturer Intel moved production to Jerusalem and even opened plants in the illegally occupied Kirat Gat, although some industry analysts attribute this move to then-CEO Andy Grove's high affinity for Israel. The move helped block any threat of major foreign ITC manufacturers relocating to Israel solely to exploit the U.S. market. U.S. workers at Intel chip fabrication plants were clearly the losers. Before the trade deal, Intel had no reason to produce outside the U.S., but since 1996 has opened three plants in Israel. In 1984, U.S. producers warned the ITC about lax Israeli intellectual property protections and, quote, alleged problems that arise from Israeli patent procedure laws that adversely affect the international competitiveness of U.S. chemical producers, unquote. Their concerns were steamrolled when the ITC characterized them as negligible, and Congress, at the urging of APAC and Israel, passed the FTA in 1985. Israeli pharmaceutical exports to the U.S. were only $34 million per year, according to the 1984 ITC report. Under the new preferences for Israeli exports of generic drugs from producers who simply surreptitiously obtained and copied patent application files of major U.S. companies, surged to $5.4 billion in 2012 before falling to $1.2 billion in 2022. The USTR was pressured and finally did investigate Israel in 2005, and then placed Israel on its punitive priority watch list in the year 2006, 2007, and 2008 over economic espionage, politely described as, quote, unfair commercial use of undisclosed tests and other data submitted by U.S. pharmaceutical companies seeking marketing approval for their products, unquote. And to be more clear, under this scheme, Israel would protest that U.S. drug manufacturers were not selling their cutting-edge products into the Israeli market. And then, after grudgingly filing mandatory Israeli government regulatory disclosures of ingredients and confidential manufacturing processes, they'd be passed on to Israeli companies who would copy and manufacture the drugs for export. Today, Israel has graduated from its preferential FTA-boosted cross-border trade of copycat drugs into the U.S. market to direct subsidized market presence of Israeli companies to compete directly and displace American companies. Nearly every major spending bill now passed by Congress under ongoing APAC lobbying pressures mandates the involvement of the Israeli government in U.S.-funded initiatives to boost semiconductors, drones, weapons development, energy, and water sectors. And following this pharmaceutical model, Israel quickly involves private, for-profit Israeli companies to begin profiting from the funding and intellectual property development of this legislation and these programs funded by Congress. 
And so today, rather than ship U.S.-bound copycat pharmaceuticals from Israel, the Israeli drug manufacturer Teva has major production locations in the United States. By the end of 2017, Teva had 51,792 employees internationally, 24% in the United States versus 43% in Europe, 12% in Israel, and 21% in the rest of the world. No state in the U.S. offers more preferential market incentives to Israel over its U.S. and state companies than Virginia. Under pressure from wealthy Virginia Jewish federations, a state agency was set up in 1996 called the Virginia Israel Advisory Board. VIAB guides Israeli companies into the state and provides them with fast-track approvals at key regulators access to capital in the form of free grants and subsidized loans, manufacturing-ready buildings, taxpayer-funded electrical and sewer infrastructure, among many other incentives. For example, the Israeli company Energix, brought in by VIAB, has accrued four types of support in the U.S. market, despite its U.N. listing as a human rights violator. Energix lobbyists from major Virginia law firms and VIAB officials actually working for Energix pressure the governor, county governments, and state legislature to issue and streamline permit applications. Energix has received more PPP loans than any other Virginia solar company, and federal lobbying has ensured that Energix gets maximal U.S. solar energy tax credits for its projects, amounting to tens of millions of dollars. Additional federal largesse flows through the U.S.-based, but mostly Southeast Asian, cadmium telluride solar panel manufacturer First Solar and on to Energix in the form of project financing. Independently forecast, 35-year Energix project revenues in the U.S. currently exceed $4 billion. Since 2013, VIAB and APAC have also lobbied Virginia state representatives to set up a mega aquaculture project in southwest Virginia, codenamed Project Jonah. At least $25 million in U.S. government funds have been committed, in addition to hundreds of millions in foreign government funds. At peak production, Project Jonah could generate nearly $150 million in yearly revenues. VIAB and APAC's long-term plan for most of that operating revenue was to accrue to the Israeli recirculating aquaculture company Aquamouth, which has been struggling with lawsuits over failures of its technology and workflow. Despite Aquamouth's incompetency, late in 2022, Project Boosters were celebrating receipt of $4.3 million in American Rescue Plan funding to build a new water pipeline to supply Project Jonah. Locals question that use of ARPA funding for Project Jonah over community needs more aligned with social service and health needs, as well as questioning why Virginia market leader Blue Ridge Aquaculture was bypassed. County officials, many of whom have taken multiple trips to Israel funded by APAC, provided no credible answers. Another VIAB project, Orin Safety Glass, is a heavily subsidized Israeli military contractor that swept into the market only to deliver substandard armor to the U.S. Army. Greensville County, Virginia, spent millions providing electrical infrastructure and facilities to OSG, which has never met 
job growth objectives, despite continuing to receive state grant funding tied to rigid performance agreements. Other big wins for VIAB are the importation of Sabra Dipping Company from Israel to the U.S. through massive subsidies and incentives that allowed the Israeli company to wipe out the market share of smaller, fragmented, independent, unsubsidized American hummus producers. Secrecy over ongoing VIAB operations to bring in ever more Israeli companies to wrench market share from American producers via preferential U.S. subsidies and opaque lobbying is paramount to Israel's lobby. Executive Director Dove Hawk is today the only U.S.-based lobbyist for Israel subject to any sort of sunshine law because he heads VIAB and VIAB is a state government agency of Virginia. So when recently asked to identify 50 Israeli lead companies, he claimed in a November 10, 2022 VIAB board meeting could locate to Virginia, he declined under the pretext that Virginia was in a fierce battle to land the companies while competing with other states. Replacing domestic Virginia producers with Israeli companies sourcing equipment and professional services like design and engineering from Israel while repatriating profits has helped increase revenue flows to Israel and away from American companies as much as preferential market access under the 1985 Free Trade Agreement. And like the nationwide bilateral free trade agreement numbers, it has not positively impacted Virginia's cumulative inflation-adjusted merchandise trade deficit with Israel, which between 2012 and 2022 grew to $4.6 billion. Nationwide, Israeli foreign direct investment in the United States has surged 36% between 2018 and 2021, with profits repatriated from Israeli entrants growing 103% to $1.629 billion. In comparison, over the same period, FDI for much wealthier United Arab Emirates has fallen 12%, with revenues only growing 25% to $1.736 billion. This reveals not only the lack of UAE influence and subsidies in the U.S. compared to Israel, but an entirely new dynamic. Israel and its lobby have so effectively policed and shut down any major UAE direct investments, such as the case of Dubai Ports World, that such investors must now work through Israel and its lobby. If UAE, which has now signed a dubious Abraham Accord with Israel, wants to directly invest in the U.S., it has to be into Israeli initiatives such as Project Jonah, which is slated to receive hundreds of millions in Dubai investments through Singapore under the watchful eye of VIAB and APAC. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is reluctant to sign an Abraham Accord, despite heavy pressure from Israel and its lobby, has not had to work through Israel on FDI and seen its own non-gate-kept direct investment in the U.S. grow by 10%, with repatriated profits up 72% over the same period. APAC lobbied to create the OTFI Economic Warfare Unit at the U.S. U.S. Treasury Department. Arab sovereign wealth investors, especially signatories of Abraham Accords, 
know that their bank accounts and assets could be frozen at any time by Israel lobby-influenced politician resolutions filed with OTFI. This may continue to depress their investments in the U.S. outside of the secure channels of an investment like Project Jonah, primarily designed to benefit Israel. The FBI was unable to conclude its espionage investigation into APAC and the Israeli Ministry of Economics, which began in mid-1984 and lasted into 1987 due to endemic Department of Justice deference to Israel visible in its many prior failed attempts to enforce U.S. law. If the Department of Justice had properly enforced FARA against APAC in 1962, it is likely that this cascading damage from espionage and new Israeli market entry subsidies that harm the U.S. economy would not have occurred. As revealed in our latest book and podcast, APAC was set up by the Israeli government and its cutout, the Jewish Agency, in the 1940s and 1960s. It is through and through a foreign influence operation. At present, Americans should assume that the Justice Department Congress, the president, and agencies with any impact on U.S.-Israel relations have been highly captured by APAC and would rather harm the U.S. economy and including their own state companies than help if APAC or VIAB declares an action would support Israel. And the only light on the horizon glimmers in Virginia where somewhat beyond the reach of APAC and captured U.S. federal agencies, empowered local communities have effectively fought back against lavish funded Israeli companies like Energix that continue to combine undue influence and discriminatory market access to capital to import their worst practices from overseas and directly into the United States. 